11th chapter. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit does it, I'm so excited to watch how he just... Dottie and I didn't speak. We didn't... We haven't communicated in any way. And when the Holy Spirit does that, it is such an exciting thing to me because you just know that what he has for this conference is so incredibly awesome. And this is such an exciting day in God. He's doing so many wonderful things where we've entered into a season where God is saying to the church, come on, get up. I want to use you to show the entire world how great and how awesome I am. And they have chosen Psalms 34 verse 8 as the theme and the, the two words that, uh, actually the three words that fit us so well is taste which means to perceive. And God is saying to the church, come on, I want you to perceive me. I, I want you to taste exactly who I am and what I am because as we perceive him, we are changed. We become in his image. And then he says, I want you to see. And that means to inspect, to learn, to discern, to distinguish. And he's saying, come on, I want you to handle me. I want you to handle my word. I want you to handle my truth. I want you to handle my reality. I want you to get so saturated with everything that I am that when you walk out, people know that you have been with me. And the word good means pleasant, agreeable, and prosperous. And so as we're in the process of tasting and seeing, what happens to us is we must see the invisible. Because I want you to hear me. God is saying to the church, this is the season where I want you to start doing the impossible. And he's returning to the church. We are going to see a massive worldwide movement of just this whole healing and signs and wonders. And the greatest thing about it is this time it's the church. It's not people. It's not leaders. It's the pews. It's every person in the church. And he's saying to us, come on. I want you to be part of what I'm doing. So we're going to pick it up in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the 27th verse. And I thanked Dottie so much this morning for leaving that verse alone last night. <laughs> there was a point where I said, this could be extremely interesting. <laughs> I'm reading from the Amplified, motivated by faith. He left Egypt behind him, being unawed and undismayed by the wrath of the king. For he never flinched, but held staunchly to his purpose and endured steadfastly as one who had gazed on him who is invisible. And so what happens to us is when we see him who is invisible, and we begin to taste him, we begin to perceive him, we begin to handle him, that vision takes away the awe of the enemy. And no longer are we awed by what the enemy thinks he can do. 
because we have seen who has already conquered him. And I want you to turn with me really quick. We're going to pick up other people who have seen the invisible and did the impossible. So we're going back to Hebrews 11, but turn with me please to Daniel. Third chapter, Daniel, third chapter, verse 16. This story picks up the story of the three men who had come into uh, Babylon as slaves, and King Nebuchadnezzar had seen the anointing of God on him, them. They had proved themselves in the first chapter of Daniel. We're not going to go there. He had made them stirrups. They had become, they had been moved from slaves to rulers. Church, I want you to understand, God is saying to you, you were a slave of sin, you were a slave of the devil, you were a slave of his kingdom, you have come into the kingdom of God. And he says to you, you are servants no more, you are friends. And as we develop that intimacy, he begins to talk to us about, I don't do anything I don't tell my friends I'm doing. But in this particular chapter, these are three men who have seen the invisible. King Nebuchadnezzar has set up a statue. They have to bow to this statue whenever the, the pipes pipe. These three men have refused. They're brought before the king. The king says to them, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to have the trumpets blown, and all you have to do is fall down and worship, and we will forget this whole thing existed. And in verse 16, they answer him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer, King, O Nebuchadnezzar, it's not necessary for us to answer you on this point. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we will, serve, we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and his facial expression was changed, and so indignation against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and therefore he commanded the furnace should be heated seven times hotter than what it was usually heated. These men had seen the invisible. They had seen the God whom they served. And they looked at him and they said, listen, we have seen who we serve, and we know how great he is, and it is not that golden statue. So for us, we don't care. We don't even have to have a second chance. We don't even have to think this over. There is no choice for us. We're not going to bow. And God can save us out of your hand. And if he doesn't, that's okay too. And what you heard out of Hebrews 11 and what Dottie was sharing last night is God is saying to the church, we've got to have an attitude that says, if I perish, I perish. But I am here for kingdom business. And so what happened is that we see that Nebuchadnezzar got angry, and it says his face got constricted, and he was angry, and it says he was, became antagonistic. Listen, this world's gods are going to become antagonistic when you have seen the invisible. They are going to try to scare you. Iverna Tompkins came to our church years ago and she said to us, if the Bible says God is something and Satan is like something, you should study that something. 
And so there's a, a wonderful truth about lions. When a lion gets older and is no longer able to run and has really lost his teeth and he really can't chew you anymore, the one thing that's left is he roars. So the young lions take the older lions and they put them in front of the prey that they're going to have for lunch. And then the young ones slip around behind. And when the prey gets into the sight of the older lions, they do the only thing they've got left. They roar. And the prey gets scared, turns around, and runs. And there are the young ones right there ready to shred them because they ran right into the enemy's trap. If the prey would have looked at the lion and went, you're very old. <laughs> and there's just not a lot you can do. So listen, you know, see ya, and kept going straight at the older lion. They would be drawing social security. <laughs> but as it is, they became the menu. So what does that do with us when we have once seen the invisible? When the enemy stands in front of us and roars, we have a revelation. Oh, you were already conquered by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So basically, you don't have anything you can do but roar because the exousius authority that he has given me tells me you've got to stop. And these young men looked at him and said, if, if we're saved, we're saved. And if we're not, we're not. And what the story goes on to say is that the king had them bound with ropes, with all their clothing on. And the men that took them to the furnace, when the door was opened, all the men that were constraining them were instantly killed. But you know what? Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They lived to get thrown in the fire. it. The others were dead. God let them live to get in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar is looking into his furnace, looking at what he thought he had accomplished. And all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three guys in that fire? But there's four in there. And not only are there four in there, they're walking in there. And one of them looks like the son of a God. And what God wants you to understand is it doesn't matter what your circumstances are at this moment. It doesn't matter if you're in a fiery furnace. He is in there with you. And when you have seen the invisible and you have tasted him, you begin to understand he's with you. And he frees you to walk in the furnace. Now I want you to look at what the furnace did. The only thing the furnace had authority over was the bonds that the king put on them. That's the only thing that burned. And a lot of the time when we're in fiery furnaces, it's because God wants to burn up the things other people have put on us to keep us small. <laughs> 
So he says to them, well, get out of there. And he opens the door of the furnace and they walk out. And I love to think that when they got out there, there wasn't even a smell of smoke on their clothes because they had been in the presence of God, not the presence of the furnace. And we've got to realize when those fiery things come our way, when we can see the invisible, we become saturated by the presence of the invisible, not the presence of the trial. Now go back with me to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 27. So not only was he not odd, not only did the king not scare him anymore, but it says he was undismayed by the wrath of the king. There was something that happened because he had seen the invisible, that he was no longer afraid of the enemy or anything he could do. There's an incredible story in the book on the blood by Kenyon. And what happened was Livingston was in Africa and he had a lot of bearers with him and he had a lot of goods with him. And all of a sudden he began to realize that his bearers were getting killed and he was being stolen from. And the next thing he knew, he was in the face of a very powerful king in Africa. And his interpreter said, there's only one way you're going to survive. And that's if you'll cut a blood covenant with this king. And so Livingston said, fine, how do we do that? And his interpreter said, the king will take a second and you will take a second. And the seconds will come together, they will cut themselves, they will bleed into a cup of wine, and they will drink it. So Livingston said, fine. The king chose his son. This is a true story. The king chose his son. Livingston chose his interpreter. They cut their wrists, they bled into a cup, and they drank it. Next thing Livingston knows, the witch doctor is standing in front of him and the witch doctor is pronouncing all kinds of blessings on him. And the next thing he knows, the witch doctor is pronouncing all kinds of curses. And he's saying to his interpreter, what's happening? And the interpreter says, oh, there's all the blessings if you keep the covenant. Those are the curses if you don't. Now, Livingston was awestruck that in Africa, where the gospel had never been preached, they understood blood covenant. And then the king said to him, I want you to give me a gift. And I want you to give me the best thing you have, so I want your goat. And Livingston explained to the king through his interpreter that he couldn't eat any food and that the only thing he could really be sustained on was the goat's milk. And the king smiled and said, I want your goat. And Livingston again said, I'll give you anything but not my goat. And the king said, no, I have to have your best. Give me your goat. And finally, Livingston gave him his goat. And he, as he watched his goat go away, the king now said, I give you a gift. And so he came up and he gave him a spear. And the spear had this ornate top on, the, on it, and it was bronze, and it was big. And 
Livingston's looking at the spear and he goes, great. I give the guy my goat and I get this ugly spear. What am I going to do with this spear? He's got my goat. I've got this stupid spear. And as he kept looking, hunting for Stanley, he realized all of a sudden none of his bearers were being touched. Nothing was being stolen. And he gets into this village, and he's in the back of the line, and all the chief is out, and the chief is kind of angry, and the interpreter's trying to get things settled down. And Livingston starts through the crowd. And when the king sees Livingston, he falls at Livingston's feet, and he starts kissing Livingston's feet. And all the animosity is gone. And Livingston said to his interpreter, what's happening here? And, living, and the interpreter said, oh, you carry, oh, hear me, the spear of the greatest ruler of Africa, and they must treat you like they would treat him. And Livingston says, and that means what? And the interpreter said, well, they can't war with you because if they war with you, they war with him. And anything you ask them, they have to give you. And Livingston went, anything? And he said, anything. And Livingston said to the, the king of the, the village, could I please have a goat? And the king says yes and goes off. Listen to me very carefully. 20 minutes later, he came back with an entire flock of goats because he had to give to him what he would have given the greatest ruler of the universe. You carry an invisible spear because you have cut blood covenant with the greatest ruler of the entire universe. And your spear is a cross because it is the blood of Jesus Christ that empowers you. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that moves in front of you, that gives you the authority, that gives you the ability to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to do the signs, to do the wonders. And he's saying to you in this day, don't you understand, with my blood, with my cross, there is nothing that is impossible for you because of me. And oh, the enemy, oh, you see, because Moses had seen the invisible, he wasn't disturbed by the wrath of the king because he realized if the enemy did business with him, he was really doing it with him. And church, if we would get into the invisible and realize that so many things that happen to us in this world, people that attack us and are so cranky with us, so often they're attacking whom we carry, not us. And if we would just realize that we carry the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we would stop fussing with people and tell the enemy to shut up. The verse goes on, and the verse says, and he held staunchly, 
for he never flinched, but held staunchly to his purpose. When we have seen the invisible, oh, and we have tasted him, it is so easy for us to hold and not flinch. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, behold, an army of horses and chariots was around the city. And Elisha's servant said to him, Alas, my master, what are we to do? And Elisha answered, for those that are with us are more than those who are with them. I couldn't help but think as Dottie was speaking last night and she was talking about this host, this cloud of witnesses that watch us. And she was talking about the angels that are assigned to us in the luncheon meeting and how very often we keep them bored. They surround us, and there is more of them with us than there is with him. He only took a third of them. Two-thirds are left. And when the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Smite them with blindness, I pray you. And God smote them with blindness. But what preceded that? It's such an interesting story. On one, he said, God, open his eyes that he can see. And so what happened was all of a sudden, his servant saw into the invisible. And when he saw into the invisible, he saw the mountains full of the chariots of God. And he could draw the strength. Oh, church, if we could just once see into the invisible and see what surrounds us. There are so many tools in the invisible available to us every second of the day, and they lay unused because we don't see them. So for one, Elisha said, your problem is cured by sight. To the other ones, he said, and you're dealt with by blindness. And he prayed down blindness. And when they were blind, he walked up to them. and Because, you see, they didn't recognize his voice. And he said, do you want me to take you to the man you seek? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. So he leads an entire blind army into the throne room of their enemy. And then he says, okay, God, now let him see. <laughs> we don't understand the exousius authority that Jesus handed us in Luke 10, 19. And he said to us, come on. I am saying to you, use my authority. Because the purpose that Jesus came for was to destroy the works of the enemy. And he said to us as he left, as my father sent me, so send I you. It's such an interesting change of words. The one word means 
to send, to go, to say, okay, it's now your time to go. The other one means to thrust, to push. Jesus is looking at us and he said, I understand man's nature. So I want you to know something. I'm pushing you out there to do the works of the kingdom. Do you realize every time you take a step, every time you proclaim the gospel, every time you give a word of wisdom and knowledge, every time you lay hands on someone, every time you, you pray for their healing, you tear down a section of the kingdom of hell and you establish the kingdom of God. That's what the church is for. We are to be individuals so consumed by the nature and the life of God that where we go, we can't help but give what's inside of us. And he's saying to the church today, get on your feet. Stop being so afraid of everything that's around you. Stop listening to the voice of the enemy. Start getting into the word. Let the word of God so saturate you that your faith is not based on your circumstances, but your faith is based on the word. Amen. In this season, God is saying to the church, start praying my word back. Start praying back to me my word. God is saying to the church, start quoting my word. Listen, when things come into your mind, Satan is so good to always take us to the negative. Have you ever noticed? When you hear a problem, don't you find yourself roaming over to how the worst it could ever get to be? Instead, God is saying, rein that in and quote the scripture that is applicable to that situation. Paul looked at the Ephesians church and he said, oh, I pray for you every day that the eyes of your understanding be flooded with light. But that is the greatest word there. I don't understand why the King James translated it understanding because that's not the Greek word. The Greek word there means imagination. And he said, I want your imagination flooded with light. You see, when our imagination sees the invisible, and we really see into the invisible, and we really see Jesus Christ, we really see who he is, we really see who he is in us, we begin to taste him, we begin to perceive him, we begin to handle him. What happens is our imagination becomes captivated with what is possible, not what is happening. And all of a sudden, scripture verses take new meaning to us and we can apply them to our lives, to our situations, to our circumstances. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves saying what the word says, not what the circumstances say. And so the Bible says that Moses was staunch. He didn't flinch. Every time Pharaoh said to him, no, I can see Moses in his mind looking at Pharaoh going, you know, you're, you're a real slow learner. I'm leaving here. And I'm leaving here with everybody. I'm not leaving anybody behind. 
And God had put something so dynamic inside Moses' heart. He had said to Moses, not only are you leaving, oh, but listen, you're going to spoil Egypt in your leaving. And every time Pharaoh said no, it didn't shake Moses because he was ready. The next time God said, okay, now go do this and go do that and go do this. He was right back there in the throne room. And I could just see him saying in his heart, just keep this up. Because in the end, we're going to spoil you. And the longer it takes, the more we're going to get. He wasn't moved off his position. And he instilled into the heart of every Israeli in Egypt that a day was coming when they were going to spoil the enemy. And when that day came and Moses said to them, okay, guys, go ask your neighbor for everything. And they were going next door. I can see them knocking on the door. Hi. Listen, we're leaving. We, we're just about out of here. But before we go, I want all your gold. I want all your silver. I want all your jewelry. I want all your, your mirrors. I want all your embroidery. I want all your nice fabric. So uh, just bring it out my carts right here. <laughs> I can see them as they went door to door. And the Bible says the fear, yes. the fear yes. of those slaves was so on Egypt. Why? God's plagues, every one of them, went to war against one of the gods of Egypt. And every one of the gods was defeated. And so the fear that began to reign in Egypt was, wait a minute, they know a God we don't know. And it says they spoiled Egypt. And as God was talking to me about that, he said, you know what that was, don't you? He said that was payment for 400 years of slavery. You see, it's really true. Everything we sow, we reap. The crop may come up later. It may come up sooner. It may come up good. It may come up bad, depending on what we have sowed. And you know what's the greatest thing God can do for all of us? Is all of us have planted some crops we need divine crop failure for. And in this season, we need to be saying to God, I need certain crops to fail because I planted these bad seeds. And I need other crops to come in bumper. Back to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And he endured steadfastly as one who had seen him who is invisible. He gives us the ability to no matter what is going on, stand and accomplish the purpose for which we have come into the kingdom. And I want you to turn with me, please, to Luke, because I want to talk to you about the purpose. I've talked to you about what happens when you handle and you see him and you taste him and how it makes you unflinching. 
how it makes you unafraid, how you are not awed by anything the enemy can do, and what is it that we're supposed to be doing. So turn with me, please, to Luke 11th chapter, second verse. Luke 2. I'm sorry, Luke 11, verse 2. They were saying to him, you know what, we've, we've watched you pray. And John teaches his disciples to pray. We've been taught to pray all our lives. But there's something different when you pray. And in this season... God is saying to the church, I want to sow life you when you pray. God is wanting the Spirit of God to so rise in us when we pray that our prayers are not dead words, but our prayers are expectancy because we understand we carry the spear of the greatest ruler of the universe. And ours is not a spear with a point on it to kill people. No, our spear is the spear of a shepherd king. So it's a shepherd's staff with a cross on the top. And so he's saying, oh, listen, teach us to pray the way you pray. Because when you pray, things happen. So in Luke, the second chapter, uh, Luke, the 11th chapter, second verse, Jesus begins to teach them. And he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Held holy and revered on earth as it is in heaven. The phrase I'm after is your will be done. The Amplified adds held holy and revered. Church, I just want to talk to you a minute about the fact that our purpose on this earth is whatever is the will of God. And when we get up, every day needs to be dedicated to God. What's your will today? How do you want me to flow in your will? And the Greek word here for will is very simple. It means desire, pleasure commands all things that God wants us to do for him. Jesus said, start praying, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about it. In heaven, can you ever imagine Jesus saying, I want this done, and one of the angels or one of the heavenly hosts saying, no. You know, I got this list today. Have you seen my errands today? I, I you know, listen. I can't get to that, but uh, uh, my calendar looks like uh, Tuesday of next week will be good. I somehow cannot see anybody in heaven telling him no or wait, 
or listen, I got this other job to do. And so as he's teaching his disciples, he's saying to them, bend your will. And allow yourself to be flexible. There's one thing I'm learning. Jesus doesn't always see the same thing as important that I see as important. It's been a real revelation to me. And there are things that I just know that has to be done. And, it re and it's got a deadline. And he looks at it and goes, no, this. And have you ever found yourself in a discussion with him? And you're saying to him, I, listen, I really can't do that now. <laughs> or you are, find yourself saying, I can't say that to them. Do you know who they are? <laughs> and he's telling us, do you not understand? I want to take you out of the realm you have been living in. And I want to transport you into the realm of heavenly business. When people say to me, you know, church is boring, it tells me something. And what it tells me is that they have not laid hands on anybody and watched God heal them. It tells me that they have never heard God say to them, I want you to go over and say this to that person. Because that takes away the boredom of church when we begin to move in kingdom business. And he's saying to the church, come on. I want you to start moving in kingdom business. I want you to understand I brought you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, not just for you, but for every person you meet. I want to use you to tear down the kingdom of darkness. You're going to hear me talk about this tomorrow, but the verse that has just come so alive to me, and I'm going to do it in greater detail tomorrow, is where Jesus is looking, and you can just, I can just imagine him smiling. And, and he's looking because he sees something nobody else sees. And he says, oh, from John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Yes. Now he's looking at a, a Jewish audience who had the concept of three heavens. The first heaven being the throne room of God. The second heaven being the starry hosts, the planets. And the third heaven being earth and its atmosphere. And he's looking at the invisible. He's seeing what's going on in the invisible. And he's seeing the earth being, being taken by force. And he doesn't, he's smiling because he's looking at those 12 disciples who have no clue what they're doing. And as he's sending them out, they are hitting the hosts that hold 
this realm. And all of a sudden, it's violence. It's suffering violence because Satan is beginning to lose the grasp that he usurped in the garden. And his dominion that he usurped is being challenged. And it's being challenged by creatures that were made a little lower than the angels. Because we're realizing, wait a minute, Jesus Christ is in me. He lives in me. I carry him. And when I cooperate with his agenda, life is so exciting. Life is so different. Because you see, he said, thy will be done. And that word simply means come to pass. And what he was saying to his disciples is, listen, start praying that my desires come to pass through you. And what he's saying to you is, listen, I'm going to give you a guarantee of success. And the Holy Spirit began to break this in my heart. And I got so excited because, you see, we are successful even if it doesn't produce the result we want. Because we're not responsible for people's response. We are responsible for our obedience. So therefore, we're successful whether they take it from us or not because we submitted our will and said, I am here to do what you have called me to do. It is so wonderful to realize we're not responsible for the result. We are responsible to do. Turn with me, please, to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, because he hammered this to his disciples at the last because he was saying to them, don't you understand? This is what it's all about. This is what you have the opportunity to do. And if there's one thing that I can leave you with, it's that God wants you to see the invisible so that you can realize he is giving you the most phenomenal opportunity ever given any creature. And he's saying, I'm going to give you a chance to partner with me. You do what I want you to do. You do my will. You do my purpose. You do the things I have called you to do and watch everything around you shake. And I want you to hear me. The more you see the invisible, the more your life is wrapped up in seeing the invisible, the more there's going to be some people around you that are not going to understand you. And not only are they not going to understand you, some are not going to be really comfortable with you. Because what did God say about the nation of Israel? He said, oh, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy by a people that are not really a people. I'm going to provoke you to jealousy by a people with stammering tongues. Even in the body, because you see, that's where God is now. You know, we, we look at it, and we want revival, and we think that revival is our churches being packed with people that are unsaved. No, that's the result of revival. Because the word revival means to bring back to life something that was once alive. 
Revival is starting in the church. And God is wanting to revive every member in the church. And what does he want to revive? He wants to revive our expectancy. He wants to revive our hope. He wants to revive our faith. He wants to revive our understanding that the God we serve is alive and well and talks to us every day. God said to me in the beginning of last year, or in the middle of last year actually, this is the season of prophetic visitation. It's already started. You're already in it. You've got to start teaching people to hear. And then he said, now let me define prophetic visitation for you because he knows that I immediately think something he's not thinking. Have you ever noticed we have our definitions and he has his? And very often, they're not the same. He said, I'm going to make it very simple for you. Prophecy is merely hearing me when I talk. That's all it is. And so we've come into a season where God is talking. And he's wanting us to expect him to talk. And I've been talking to our congregation constantly about the fact that God wants us to open our ears because he's talking constantly. I have the most wonderful secretary in the world. Now, she's not a secretary secretary. She, her filing system is her own. Sometimes it takes me two or three hours to find something because she files it under what she thinks it is. And very often I have to call her on the phone at night and say, Terry, what did you file this under? Because it's her own system. But she is the most phenomenal spiritual person who prays, and when somebody calls in, I know she's going to pray for him. I know she's going to get a hold of God. I know she's going to get an answer. You know what? I can file. <laughs> I want her to be on that phone to do what she does. But one of the things that is her personality is that Terry is always talking. Now, it is below sound level. You know, it's one of those. And the deal is, she talks to the computer. She talks to the desk. She talks to the file cabinet. She talks to the phone. She just talks. And it bothered me in the beginning. And I was constantly saying, what, what? Finally, I've learned. And this is what I say. Terry, honey, are you talking to me or are you just talking? And she'll tell me most of the time, I'm just talking, I don't need you. And so I, I came out of, out of her office one day and the Holy Spirit just that quick said, that's me, you know. And I said, I don't understand what you just said to me. He said, I'm always talking, you're just not listening. And so that's what this whole season is that we are in. He's opening our spiritual ears to get in on his communication that he's been talking all this time. And so we have praise reports in our church on Sunday, and two of our youth have, have really gotten a hold of this, and they're, they're, they're really very cute. And so one, one is a boy, and, and he, he got up to give a praise report. His mother had told me the praise report, so I made him give the praise report. He didn't volunteer. 
But what happened was he lost his iPod. And he's a really good kid, but he's, uh, you know, he's like any other 15-year-old boy, you know. Very often his brain is at home and he's at school. <laughs> and so his mother said to him, that's it. You're grounded. I'm, that, I'm never buying you anything that expensive again. And the kid said to his mother, I called you for you to pray with me. He said, could you just pray that God will tell me where my iPod is? The mother said, I don't care where he tells you, you're grounded. You know? She's so mad at him. She said, how do you pray when you're this mad at this kid? But she grudgingly prays with him. And you know what? He just trusted God was going to tell him, so he got this good idea. He said, I'm going to go lay down on my bed. And he said, God, you're going to give me a vision of where my iPod is. So he lays down on his bed. Now, can you imagine his mother's at work? She's frothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> the kid, he's laying on the bed. And all of a sudden, he has this dream. And in the dream, he sees his hand going underneath the keyboard of his computer and pulling out his iPod. He jumps up, goes to his computer. Now, he'd torn his room apart. He goes to his desk, pulls, pulls out the little drawer, puts his hand under the keyboard, and there's his iPod. So he calls his mother, and he said, God does talk! <laughs> His mother said to me, I felt this high. <laughs> so that produced one of the other mothers to stand up and say, oh, in that case, my daughter's got a praise report, don't you? And the daughter turned the color of Betsy's scarf. Looked down, and it was like, I'm not talking. And, his, and her mother said, she lost her iPod too in her purse. <laughs> With every gift card she'd ever been given. This little girl hoards. You know what I mean? You give her something, she thanks you. She puts it in her purse. Twelve years later, it's still in her purse. She doesn't spend them. She just keeps them. So she had every gift card she'd ever been given and her iPod. And she was in her purse, and her purse was gone. And so she said to her mother, well, okay, well, we'll pray. So she prays, and God says to her, your purse is in the car. So she says, oh, it's late. I'll get it in the morning. Thanks. And she goes to bed. Now her little sister gets up. And her little sister says to her mother, I think the purse is in the car. <laughs> so the mother and the little sister, the girl is sleeping, thanks God, goes to sleep. The little sister and the mother, isn't that the way it always is, goes to the garage. And sure enough, there's the purse underneath the seat. So they're so excited, they come running in, they knock on her door, they wake her up. We found your purse. She said, yeah, I know it's in the car underneath the seats. <laughs> I was going to get it in the morning. God told me where it was. You see, 
What am I encouraging you to do? I'm encouraging you to allow God to open your ears to the invisible. He is talking now for the sole purpose of getting the church on her feet because the fields are white with harvest. God doesn't do these things for us to keep them behind doors. Have you noticed? We've now brought healing into the church, and it only happens on Sundays. It's supposed to be everywhere you are. You're to be laying hands on people. You're to be talking to them about the living God who heals. So back to where we were, you thought I forgot. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go then and make. Go then and make. He's not saying to us, get a notch on your belt. Twelve people prayed with me today to receive Jesus. And then you have no idea where they are. He said, go make disciples. Baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you all the days, uniformly and on every occasion, to the very close and the consummation of the age. He's saying to them, everything that's inside of you, every commandment that's come alive to you, everything that you know, everything that's part of your DNA, go infuse it into the ones that you bring to Jesus. Don't you understand? Everything that we learn is to be infused into those that come behind us. They're not to start where we did. They're supposed to start with everything we've got. But what happens to us is because we don't give to the next generation. Every generation's got to go back to step one and start over. And he's saying, I want you to infuse into them everything that you know. But he, he goes and he talks again and he's saying this to them again and in Acts, the first chapter, he says this to them. Acts, the first chapter, Verse 8, but you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you what? Shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. He's looking at them and he's saying, listen, when you are endued with power, when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, it is not just for the purpose of you communicating with me. It's not just for the purpose of you being infused and loosed into power like you've never known before. It is to be the very Everything that propels you out there to be my witnesses. Because you see, once you have seen the invisible, you can't be silent anymore. Because the invisible 
is so incredibly awesome, so incredibly wonderful. There's such hope. There's such excitement. There's answers when there aren't answers. There's so many things that happen as you look into the invisible. And it's for the sole purpose of being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And he's saying to the church, come on, I want you up. I want you infused. I want you excited because I want you to go. Because he's returning to us the rule, the dominion that Satan usurped out of man's hand. Jesus got it back, handed it to us, and said, now let's go. Let's begin to push back the kingdom of hell to establish the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know where you are this morning, but this is what I know. God so wants your imaginations flooded with light. He so wants those bonds that man has put on you that keeps you down. He so wants those burned off. He so wants you walking in your situations, praising God. Let people wonder if you're sane because you don't react the same way. Listen, I'd rather have people wonder if I was sane because I was happy than wonder if I was sane because I'm so depressed. Have you looked? There's more commercials now for psychiatric medications on television than there is commercials for anything else. Listen, the world is sick. You are not you have the healing power of Jesus Christ in you. And he's saying, I want those bonds. I want them burned off of you. And you know what? The church has gotten so silent that God is starting to let the world be our witnesses. That's really what's happening. Look at all the things that the psychiatric community has now done for us. They've spent billions of dollars to prove the Bible. It's really wonderful. <laughs> you know, and you just look at them and say, thank you so much. That's that verse, the wealth of the unrighteous is laid up for the righteous. Thanks for spending that money so we got something to preach with. I mean, the New York Times came out. Did you see that article? November 16th. Go look it up. And they had done a research facility, spent millions of dollars. They got Pentecostal Christians. They got Buddhists. They got every known religion into this study. And they got them to pray. And they put electrodes on their brain, and they measured what happened. And then they put them through a special CAT scan. And what happened was every known religion... When they prayed, the communication part of their brain, the brain, part of the brain that deals with communication was alive and active, except for Pentecostal Christians. And when they were praying in the spirit, the communication part of the brain was flat. Nothing was going on. One quote out of the New York Times is worth a gazillion Preachers, you know what they said? Maybe these Pentecostals are right. 
They've been telling us all these years that somebody was praying through them. Maybe they're right. And I want you to know, since that came out in the New York Times, other research facilities have tried to prove that research faulty. Every one of them has come to the same end result. You see, we aren't doing our job, so the world is doing our job. But here's the problem. They don't know what to do with their information because they've never seen the invisible. And so this morning, I just want you to stand to your feet. And if you're here and you're looking at it and you're saying, you know what? I've never tasted I've never seen. I've got these bonds on me. My imagination is not flooded with light. But you want God to meet you right now. The altar workers are here. The ministry team is here. You come. People are going to pray for you. God wants change. If you want something, you come. You're going to be ministered to. We don't have a worship team, so you know what? You're just going to have to come. So if this message has done something and you have been stirred to God, you come right now. We're going to pray for you.